Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to New Orleans, Louisiana, home of the hits. And if you're from out of town, <laughs> welcome to the third world. Real shit. Uh, the only weekly movie podcast made exclusively by, for, and about the online Facebook group, The Real Shit. You are catching us on a very special day because this is our 21st episode ever. With uh, Christmas right around the corner, we submit our films for a non traditional Christmas movie double feature. But the bulk of our show is going to be dedicated to the 1993 shoot 'em up and director John Woo's stateside debut, Hard Target, starring Lance Henriksen and the one, the only, Jean Claude Van Damme. My name is Charlie Thompson, founder, administrator, and bracket master of The Real Shit. And joining me, as always, is my co-host and fellow administrator, the midnight movie maniac himself, Ryland Johnson. How are you, man? I'm doing well. And uh, what kind of name is Chance? Well, my mama took one. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and returning to The Real Shit hot seat for a record-setting third time, uh, the guy with the coolest profile pic on the internet, Mr. Andrew Boat. Long time, man. How have you been? Gentlemen, how have you been? I'm doing fantastic. Cannot complain. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Uh, yeah, for uh, I'm sure everybody that listens to our podcast has been listening for a while. But for those that don't know, uh, Andrew Boat holds a special place in the podcast history. The idea was that me and Rylan would just be chopping it up about movies, whatever. And we had an idea to bring on some other members of the real shit. And Boat was, of course, at the top of our list. And so we contacted him. He was down to, you know, to try this whole three-person call, recording, all that kind of stuff together. He was down for that. And so we got our Skype information, met up one night, had a great conversation about Total Recall. But then we realized that I forgot to hit record. So we had this great, long-winded, two-hour conversation. And none of it got recorded. Yeah. Good. We're taping, right? Yeah, we're taping, right? I made sure we got this on tape. Ah. Always record. Always record. It looked like it was on. It was the best podcast in the world. <laughs> I was so kicking myself because the first, I think we did four episodes uh, before we brought anybody on. So those first four went pretty well, you know, but for some reason it was the addition of the third person or... Or something that I just forgot. I completely forgot. And it's it's not like I'm working like a giant audio rig here. It's literally just one button. <laughs> and so uh, we we humbly asked uh, a boat to come back the following week for 
to do the exact same thing again, talk about Total Recall, uh, but, but act like we hadn't done it before. He was more than gracious to do it, and we really appreciate him. And that was on the first iteration of this show when we uh, only uh, uploaded it to the Facebook feed itself. Andrew Boat takes the distinction of being our first and second guest ever on our show. That is true. And finally, I can actually say I'm on a reputable podcast on Spotify <laughs> for the first time. So I want to thank you for that. All the other podcasts I'm appearing on are not suitable for any audiences. So I just want to throw that out there. So Yes. So yes, you are you are highly decorated in the, the halls of spitting the real shit, sir. And also, I guess now you have the distinction of being the first return guest. Who introduced you to Pablo Escobar? Huh? Me. Me. Who introduced you to your fucking Colombian wife? Hmm? Me. Who protect you? When my friend Cesar Rosa wanted to slice your fucking throat up. Look at this. I'm all about it. Hey, and I just want to also say, first of all, I love the production value that you brought to this show. I think it's gone up and up and up. So I'm okay with being Facebook <laughs> podcast history, but uh, it's great to see that your podcast and production has gone way sky high. And it's good to see a lot of other guests on there. I mean, I'm, I'm good to see some, hear some people for the first time. I know that Jesse, you, he was a guest on your show, but he's, him and I go way back, but we've never met in person or talked in person. I've known him since he was probably a teenager, and I used to run a movie site with a couple people that are in the real shit. Uh, yeah. Shout out to Reagan, Chris, a couple other people that have actually come in there with Jesse, and he was actually one of the people that actually has been around since he was a teenager. He's well into his 30s, I, I'm guessing now. That was really cool to actually uh, hear him discuss it, and I think y'all did a great job on that show, too. Boat is our Paul Rudd to our Conan O'Brien, I think, you know? <laughs> uh, Andrew Boat's been around the real shit for a minute now, since 2014, probably. I'm waiting for somebody well, I... to kick me out, but they haven't yet. <laughs> no, man. You are here to stay, brother. So, sorry to say. But uh, well, let's get started. I appreciate everybody's time here tonight. Now, let's get started with some industry news. I heard the Tom Cruise went Tom Cruise crazy again. You're back here in Hollywood making movies right now because of us. Because they believe in us and what we're doing! I'm on the phone with every studio at night! Insurance companies! Producers! And they're looking at us and using us to make their movies! We are creating thousands of jobs, you I don't ever want to see it again! Ever! And if you don't do it, you're fired! And I see you do it again, you're gone. And anyone on this crew does it. That's it. And you too. And you too. And you. Don't you ever do it again. That's it. No apologies. You can tell it to the people that are losing their homes because our industry is shut down. It's not going to put food on their table. Or pay for their college education. That's what I sleep with every night. In the future of this industry. So I'm sorry, I'm beyond your apologies. I have told you, and now I want it. And if you don't do it, you're out. We are not shutting this movie down! 
Is it understood? If I see it again, you're going. And so are you. So you're going to cost him his job. And I see it on the set, you're going. And you're going. That's it. Am I clear? Do you understand what I want? Do you understand the responsibility that you have? Because I will deal with your reason. And if you can't be reasonable, and I can't deal with your logic, you're fired. That's it. That is it. I trust you guys to be here. Uh, you know, I'm, I've always been a huge Tom Cruise fan. A lot, he gets so much shit just for being the weirdest guy in Hollywood, which is a fact. I don't deny that. But the amount of blockbusters this man has fucking churned out in the last almost 40 years is bar none. And to hear him on a set where he's producing, he's putting all his money forward, he's really trying to make this work, was you know, kind of cool to me. I've always been a big fan of him. I, like I said, I know he's a weirdo, but uh, I've always heard he's a pretty solid, good guy to work with on set. Uh, and this just shows that uh, it's not quite a, a a ball buster as a Christian Bale, but hey, it's still fun to listen to. I, I totally agree. I, I, he wasn't very much of a prima donna to me. I think he was actually opened the door because He's had a reputation of, like you said, of being a, a good guy to work with. He's kind of had that Keanu Reeves attitude with the people that he's worked with on set, the, even the smaller guys behind the scenes. So I think this is like almost a he put his business hat on. And with all this COVID uh, restrictions and rules and stuff, I think he actually saw the writing on the wall and says, hey, if you screw up, you know, you're going to get all this shut down and we're all out of a job kind of thing, even though he could probably survive, you know, for the rest of his life living comfortably in some kind of spaceship or whatever. But to see him actually, you know, care for the other guys, the grips, the key grips, the, you know, the, the other guys behind stage, the sound guys, everybody that's, that builds the film that you don't even know about. Cause uh, you only see him at the very end during the credits. I think that's really important. And, uh, you know, he may sound like kind of a screaming idiot about it and nobody likes a Karen. I think he had good intentions as far as what he was actually arguing about. So. Yeah. I, I believe his message was strong and that I agree with it. Every production I know of has been shut down this year. There's there's no squeakers in there that have gotten by by, you know, being in Australia or some weird place and getting it done. Yeah. It's just not happening. So you may for, see more of that though. You may yeah. see a lot more foreign made films. They might be doing production down South America or something. Giant budget films like Mission Impossible where they're inside a bubble. I think this is the the, the reason why Tom Cruise got so fucking lit is because <laughs> he put in like to yep. to put a ship a, a giant fucking cruise ship near production to keep these people safe. And he's trying his best to, to you know, just do the things he can as a producer because he's producing all these movies now. And that's what gets Tom Cruise off nowadays, man. It's not the acting anymore. It's being the stunt guy and the producer and getting his hands dirty. He likes that shit and they're going to take it away from him. And uh, he don't like he that. <laughs> he also likes holding hands and jumping on couches. That's just what I've heard. So. That's right. I'm a hugger. You know what I mean? Yeah, I know. Yeah, I know what I mean. I give it... Yes. Yes. So that's that's what it's like with Steven and I. You yeah. know? Yeah. And when you've been hugged by Tom, you've been hugged. <laughs> He's a maniac. Everybody knows it. If he can get this done, he can prove that American productions can still go off. And in a big budget sense, and we can still keep making movies and and bring people to the theaters and all kinds of stuff. So he could be an inspiration. But Tom, sometimes it takes you know ripping in somebody every once in a while. 
I'm sure this is going to be isolated. Any chance to show Tom Cruise in a crazy light, you know, the, the press will be all over that. You know how big of a Mission Impossible fan I am. I'm happy yes. that Tom Cruise is, is pumping this shit out and saying, let's go. Ryland's got to see this MI7 this year or he's going to be very unhappy. So he's doing it for me. <laughs> <laughs> for Ryland Johnson. Yeah, I'm, the, I'm his uh, biggest Mission Impossible fan. <laughs> Uh, the other piece of news that uh, that we've been seeing all week are the additions to the cast of this upcoming Spider-Man, I believe it's called Spider-Man 3, to where we got Andrew Garfield, we got Tobey Maguire, we got Willem Dafoe just got announced, uh, Doc Ock from Spider-Man 2, uh, Alfred Molina, uh, is, is confirmed as being part of the cast for this new movie. And so it really opens up a whole lot of opportunities for this whole franchise to get a huge kick in the ass as far as uh, narrative, the places they can go with these stories. As things heat up for Spider-Man 3, more and more people are getting more and more excited for it each and every day. And it seems like every day a new report comes out for Spider-Man 3 that gets the fans super pumped. And right now it's kind of all anybody can really talk about. It's like the end game of Spider-Man. Yeah, I, I think if anything, this is going to be kind of taken off of the uh, end of the Spider-Verse or Spidey-Verse. Uh, movie, I think they're going to have a ton of cameos where he's going to be kind of jumping from uh, universe to universe or dimension to dimension, kind of like in the comic books. But I think they'll do it right. I think it'll be funny. And I, in fact, I think it's bringing all these old guys in. It's probably going to be for laughs. I, I, I'll probably call it here. That's my guess. I want to say it's usually it's probably going to be a cameo type situation uh, with, with whatever these new additions are, are coming through. I doubt that Andrew Garfield's Spider-Man is going to have that big of a role in this new movie. Uh, Spider-Man's been a recurring story uh, for the last few episodes uh, in the last couple months. So we'll, we'll keep you updated on that. Before we talk about uh, our double feature, uh, what, what do you say we talk about uh, some bracket news, guys? I guess the biggest story in the bracket was that it stopped for about four days. <laughs> and then it got jump-started. <laughs> yeah, I was uh, spent a little time in the hospital, uh, just me, myself. And it was pretty scary. Uh, I actually do another podcast. It's called Best Siblings Ever with my my sister, Heather. I'm going to tell my whole story on that podcast. It should come out this week also. I'll put a link in the in the production notes. Yeah, tell your friends to subscribe and tell their friends to subscribe and your friends and their friends and so much friends that I get to one million subscribers. That's like an all-time dream, which will never happen. But yeah, it was it was something I had to do. I couldn't focus on that and do the hospital stuff at the same time. So I just kind of stopped it. Uh, so yeah, so we're back in it. Uh, we're about three matches in on the, the Sweet 16. Uh, Mission Impossible is the only guaranteed advancement right now. Die Hard versus uh, Ocean's Eleven is still going. I have a feeling that these kind of more neo-heist movies are going to go by the wayside. Uh, your Inceptions... Uh, and your Reservoir Dogs, maybe. Uh, but I, I feel like the, the traditional heist is going to take the day as far as maybe a Final Four situation. Like your usual suspects, you know, with the actual heist, you know, uh, Ocean's Eleven, actual heist, Heat, actual heist. Yeah, I, I mean, <laughs> it's, it's, I, I personally like the Ocean's Eleven. I, I thought that was like an ultimate heist movie. So I, to see it go against Die Hard was a little let down for me. I was like, oh, I wish I could see it just drag out this a little bit so it could go up against some of these, you know, uh, we these classic heist movies like the usual suspects this this last one was a lot of high-end competition i think it was a mm -hmm. little bit more interesting to see but like you said i think you are going to see the last big hurrahs are going to be some big hitters i'm hyped that charlie had a, a hospital scare and just could keep pumping out shit 
because, <laughs> you know, this man does all the work, guys. Just so you know, uh, if something happens to this guy, we're screwed. <laughs> I'm like, let me tell you something, friend. If your life sucks, then I'm fucked. All right. <laughs> now sing Radio Free Europe and beat it. Yeah, my brackets are just going to be a nothing but Arnold Schwarzenegger movies yeah. going against each other. And Predator will win because that's the best movie of all time. But it's, It is. It's a flawless Char- movie. Charlie's the bracket movie. master. I am the bracket Padawan. I have no clue what to do. We're always a few days back uh, when it comes to the podcast versus the bracket. Uh, but I'll try to be as up to date as possible. Um, but before we talk about Hard Target tonight, and Andrew, would you like to join us for a, a fun game? I want to play a game. The rules are simple. What you have to do is sit here and talk to me. Listen to me. I'm always down for a game. Uh, we did this game, I want to say a few weeks ago, um, when it was just me and Rylan talking, uh, where we did a uh, Ed Harris double feature, uh, where we had to curate it, we had to figure out what movies we were going to choose, and in what order we were going to do it. Uh, and I thought that was a really fun idea, and so I wanted to bring it back again uh, for the Christmas season, uh, but put a little spin on it, uh, and I wanted to do non-traditional Christmas movies, your your movies that have a backdrop of Christmas, but not necessarily about the traditional holiday. How we would want to present that that type of movie to an audience. Uh, Andrew, as our guest, I wanted to see if you wanted to submit your double feature first. I got some really unconventional movies here, and they are Christmas related, but they're not Christmas oriented. So the first off, that I want to start out your double feature, uh, mm-hmm. Christmas flicks with Iron Man three. Trust me, you're going to be in a puddle of blood on the ground in five, four, three. Come on! Two. How did we get this shift? All right, I'm going to give you a chance to escape. Put down your weapons. Tie yourselves to those chairs. I'll let you live. In five, four, bang. Wow, that was... You should be gone by now. You should have already been gone. I am just beyond terrified. Here it comes. Three, four... Shut up. Five, four, three, four. Pretty solid movie on the. I've watched it three times now because I. It's one of those movies I just keep forgetting about, and it's it's actually a Shane Black movie who actually did Kiss Kiss Bang Bang was going to be one of my other picks, uh, but I decided to leave it off because I thought I think somebody else mentioned it in the uh, real shit earlier this week, and I was like ah, I can't do that one. Uh, it's basically the same Tony Stark story. It's actually not even a sequel to Iron Man, the first or second one. It's actually a. Uh, almost a sequel to the Avengers, and it's a little bit more sophisticated. It's it's about Tony Stark, where he's got post traumatic stress disorder. It's a little boring at first. No, I was gonna, I was just gonna say that Iron Man three is by far my favorite Iron Man movie really? of all three of them. Yeah, it's it, it was the one that made me wanna. It's actually the one that got me back into the Avengers story. Well, like because you know because the PTSD situation, and yeah. I was like, that's a crazy way to to. I mean, I didn't expect that coming from a Disney movie. Uh, and and then the, the the lack of Iron Man altogether in the movie. Yeah. There's, there's, there's just a whole lack of Iron Man, but there's a lot of Tony Stark. Yeah. Uh, but, but not a whole lot of Iron Man, I, and I kind of appreciated that they went that way. But then of course, you know, I found out that it was written by Shane Black, and I was like, oh, well, of course. I mean, there you go. Yep. <laughs> that's 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 where that's where good movies come from. Uh, but what what is the second feature on your double oh, feature? Second feature, okay. The second one is a little known movie, and I just happened to stumble across it. I can't remember which on streaming service, so you'll have to forgive me. Uh, it's a yeah. movie called Pottersville. It actually stars uh, Michael Shannon, and it's a weird, quirky. Mm-hmm. It is a it's a more Christmassy movie, but it's not about Christmas. Michael Shannon, who plays a 
convenience store kind of a shopkeeper in a little kind of a mm-hmm. rustic town. And he's married to Christina Hendricks. So it seems wow. like it's a pretty wholesome Hallmark type movie. But there's a twist where his wife, Christina Hendricks, is actually caught in a bedroom dressed up as a furry. And they're dancing around doing weird tickling stuff. I, I don't know. It doesn't really go into that. But this is a bizarre movie from that. get. That's what hooked me. I was like, what in the world is this movie? Look, I've been meaning to talk to you for a while. A while? How long has this been going on? That's not important, Maynard. What is important is that I'm bored. Get a hobby. Learn to knit. Do macrame. Are you kidding me? We don't do anything. We don't go anywhere. I need some excitement in my life. So instead of talking to me about it, somewhere in your brain, the thing that makes sense is to go out and have sex with a squirrel. I'm a wolf. Ow! Get it? I mean, it, it doesn't even make any sense as a squirrel. It's got to be a wolf. And he ended up putting on a gorilla suit. I don't know. I can't remember if it's because he's trying to get into furry stuff, too, or what. But he ended up getting <laughs> drunk and gets into a gorilla suit and walks, stumbles around town <laughs> out in the woods. And this is the this is the real plot. And all the townsfolk see this gorilla walking through the woods. And what do they think? Bigfoot. All this press comes into town. And he just tries to keep it up because the town's kind of, you know, getting kind of run down. Tom, uh, Tom, Tom Lennon. Tom Lennon, yeah. He actually comes in as a monster hunter, one of those cheesy television monster hunters. Oh, my and, God. This sounds he, amazing. Ian McShane's in it for a little bit, and he plays kind of a Quint from, like, Jaws. And they end up going after Bigfoot. But that that's my double feature. Though. Jaws with furries? <laughs> I mean, you got my attention, sir. I know. Uh, there's a Jaws poster on my my wall right now that I'm looking at, and I cannot see how furries could be involved in that. But hey, I think Ian McShane is quit, and that's what you got there. The, I mean, with, on paper, this sounds amazing. I'm not going to say it's the greatest movie of all time. Well, you know, uh, Pottersville in itself is a is like like the second you said it, I went into like my movie trivia type of situation. Pottersville, okay, so y'all remember It's a Wonderful Life, right? Whenever he makes the wish, you know, that he hadn't, he'd never been born, and the angel grants his wish, you know, everything everything kind of gets all wacky. Uh, the town turns from Bedford Falls into a town called Pottersville. That was actually the name of a town where George Bailey never lived or never existed, so he was never able to put any kind of good into the town. So maybe that's like a play, like a slim offshoot of It's a Wonderful Life. All right, Ryland, let's go with your double feature. How would you show a non-traditional Christmas movie double feature? I mean, man, I thought my selection, one of my selections was obscure, but you got me beat on that boat. My, my, to, to start the night, we're going to start with Batman Returns because you know your boy's a Batman dude. Admiring your handiwork? Touring the riot scene. Gravely assessing the devastation. Upstanding mayor stuff. You're not the mayor. Things change. What do you want? Ah, the direct approach. I admire that in a man with a mask. You don't really think you'll win, do you? Things change. The movie is got 
Christmas sprinkled all over it. It's Tim Burton. He loves Christmas. Uh, it, everything, every every scenes in the snow. Fantastic movie, up and down. But have to have that little bit of Christmas sprinkle in a uh, action packed movie when I was a kid was just that little bit of cherry on top that made it extra special for me. Danny DeVito does so well as the penguin. It's such a fun film. You know, when you have the penguin involved with ice, why not throw it in December in Gotham city and make it Christmassy. I remember seeing this movie and being, uh, like, I guess disgusted by Danny DeVito's portrayal of penguin, mm-hmm. you know, cause you usually go with Burgess Meredith's, you know, old school sixties, penguin and i love the tim burton like went all in and was like yeah let's actually make him like part penguin like him at like eating raw fish during the press release it's so just it, these are just images that get burned into my brain and I, yeah you're right i love the uh the christmas aspect i love christopher walken and in, in this movie uh, as uh, max shrek uh the crazy you know uh, businessman and i yeah I, th- I thought keaton was pretty good but i thought keaton was the least interesting part of this movie i'd agree yeah i, I- my favorite line, though, is you brought it up. I totally forgot about it. Where he says, Bruce Wayne, why are you dressed up as Batman? It's like, <laughs> <laughs> Selena. Selena Kyle. You're fired. And Bruce Wayne, why are you dressed up like Batman? Because he is Batman, you moron. Uh, this crazy characters throughout. That was Max Shrek. Yeah, that's right. Uh, Bruce Wayne was probably the most uninteresting part, and the the whole relationship with Selena Kyle was kind of. Eh. But I, other than that, I love the, uh, the the actual goons that were kind of like the penguins, uh, circus kind of guys. Even though I, what was their motivation? I don't know. They weren't really. Yeah. How were they getting money? How were they living down there? I I never. As, even as a kid, I was like, what in the world is going on here? Like until he got the, uh, until he became ran for mayor, I was like, he's living in a sewer. I mean, why, why are yeah. these guys hanging around this guy? And he has minions. Yeah. 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 But the uh, pink one in the comics was always kind of a rich guy. He was like kind of hoity toity, uh, upper class kind of guy. But uh, this one, he was kind of a dingy sewer rat. So it was kind of bizarre to me. Most definitely. What's your second feature, Rylan? To end the night. I'm going to scare the shit out of you, and you're not going to be able to sleep Christmas Eve. So that makes sense. Black Christmas. Black Christmas was 1974, directed by Bob Clark, who, fun fact, directed A Christmas Story 10 years later. Oh, fudge. Only I didn't say fudge. I said the word, the big one, the queen mother of dirty words. The F dash 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 word. What did you say? Uh, um, that's what I thought you said. In the car. Go on. It was all over. I was dead. What would it be? The guillotine hanging, the chair, the rack, the Chinese water torture. <laughs> Mere child's play compared to what surely awaited me. I don't know if you've ever seen Black Christmas. It's a it's a literally been credited for the the first modern slasher in film. Really low budget. Sorority girls are getting murdered left and right. There's really not a lot to it. But it did, you know, it it started its own holiday horror theme with, you know, of recent Silent Night and Krampus and all these other holiday horror movies, which if you're such a horror fan like I am. Uh, to have a Christmas-themed horror movie is fun. 
Uh, it's different. It's unique. It's exciting. No one thinks bad thoughts during the month of December. God forbid. So uh, it's fun. It's it's unique. Uh, it's it's a great time. And Black Christmas was the one to start it all. So I had to throw that in there. I heard that Elvis Presley watched that every Christmas at the uh, the estate. Uh, what's it called? Graceland. That was like a, a Christmas tradition in the Presley household. Yeah, he was like three years away from just <laughs> you know from death. Wow, uh, I've never even heard of this. Well, what's funny is um, uh, I actually watched the remake, of the 2007, 2006 remake, uh, when it came out in theaters. And I was intrigued by the characters, which were, which were holdovers from the original Bob Clark version. And so I was intrigued enough to go rent uh, the original. And I remember I was blown away by the original. That one single shot whenever the killer wraps the shower curtain around the victim, just that, that single shot, you know, it's terrifying. Jason and... Freddie, this is before all of them. So, you know, like I said, it's kind of a um, first of a slasher era. And then just Billy and the sister on the phone and all that kind of stuff is chilling, chilling stuff. Hello? Hello? Look, who is this? And, and I did know that the, the guy that did the Christmas story, though, he directed the Porky's movies. That's all I know about that guy. This must have been way out. He must have like been older than I thought. So, Oh, Bob Clark, he has such a storied career. Yeah, uh, Porky's, you know, Christmas Story, Black Christmas. Like He's done it all, like in all the genres. Mm, so, so diverse. Yeah, and I got mad respect for Bob Clark for just being able, for his, just his contributions to cinema. And storytelling and, you know, being able to write a signature story in any genre and, and still be able to spot the filmmaker or the creator, yeah. you know, through, through his actions. Explains that leg lamp, too. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. That's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, why, because we're porky. Um, but, uh, well, thank you, Rylan. Thank you, Andrew. Uh, now, if I was going to curate my own double feature, I wouldn't be too obscure either, Rylan, but I would would i would you know i would want to flex my hipster movie fan muscles so my first movie is a movie that actually a mutual friend of me and andrew uh, john schiller uh, showed me and it's been in my repertoire ever since uh, since i want to say back in 2014 he showed me and it's a movie called santa slay starring oh, yeah. uh, wwe superstar bill goldberg yes as uh, <laughs> as, as santa claus Both of y'all seen this movie? Oh yes. Okay. Oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, uh, first of all, it's 
the first 10 minutes of this film are so incredibly psycho. Like, you got Fran Drescher and James Caan and, like, all these big-name stars making these cameos. But they, they have nothing to do with the actual narrative of the, of the main story in the movie. And then he shows up at the end of the scene and just kills everybody. And it's just basically just Santa killing everybody because he's all pissed off because he had to be a nice guy for, like, a thousand years because he lost a bet to an angel. And it's it's so ludicrous, but man, it is so action packed and full of gore. Little one liners. He flies around in his sleigh that's like Clydesdale deer. They're all they're all demonic, and he like picks out the packages out of his sack and throws them on the ground. They explode. Like it's it's some of the most ludicrous filmmaking and storytelling <laughs> I've ever seen in my life. But I can't look away every time it comes on uh, TV or if I put it on. Oh, it's it's Goldberg just slapping around people. That that whole scene is what made me watch. I thought it was a made for internet video. I saw it was an actual movie, so I immediately had to watch it. And I mean that first scene, it's just it's just great. I mean you could watch that clip anywhere, but it's 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 fantastic all the way through though. And like Chris Kattan is in there, and like like why <laughs> you know eighty five minutes of the movie is just Bill Goldberg just killing motherfuckers. Yeah. And, you know, it's 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 the weirdest 10 minutes of any kind of uh, movie that I've ever seen in my life. And so my second feature uh, would be another Shane Black film. You just can't avoid the non-traditional Christmas movie without thinking of Shane Black. And that's The Long Kiss Goodnight, uh, Ooh, starring yeah. uh, Gina Davis and Sam Jackson. Uh, and directed by Rennie Harland, who was her husband at the time. I came across this. My parents used to used to do the pay per view, you know, like you'd rent a movie, you know, on cable box, and uh, it, and if you were smart enough, you'd tape that movie, you know, so you could have it. And so my parents always had just a slew of blank tapes, and uh, I remember that they ordered this off a of pay per view and they taped it. And I remember the first time I watched it, I was blown away by the action in the movie, and just the slickness and the coolness of it. God damn it, you're early. So Perkins wants me dead, huh? What's the rush? Why don't you just go away and come back at midnight? Shoot. Hey, honey, this is a real big fucking gun. This ain't no ham on rat, pal. What the hell are you doing? Saving your life. I would have been here sooner, but I was thinking up that ham on rat line. You think I can't take him? Now you probably scared the other ones away. What up? Headhunters, Nimrod. They don't travel alone. You're always the stupid. Did you take lessons? I took lessons. Hey, what? what? I still got this fucking gun. And I just, I thought that Sam Jackson was so funny. I thought Gina Davis just kicked so much ass. Uh, but man, it's a really just a great story about uh, forgotten identity and then realizing who you are and then and having to deal with that person's uh, past in so many words. But it's, there's a lot of action plus the Christmas aspect. And um, it, it's, it's such an easy watch. It's a good 90 minutes of just fun, cool characters, and just great action sets. Where's oh. Gina Davis? I miss her. I miss Gina Davis so much. Uh, she, she's done a couple TV things. Yeah, I've seen her uh, on television, but, a couple television shows, so. Yeah, but she's, man, but she used to rule. I mean, you put Gina Davis in your movie, I mean, you got a hit movie. Except for Cutthroat Island, apparently. Yeah, that's too bad about that. <laughs> that one, they, they, they bit <laughs> off a little more than they could chew on that one. Well, thank you, guys. I really appreciate you playing the game. Uh, let's uh, let's talk about some Jean-Claude Van Damme, which I know Ryland has been, has been chomping at the bit to do since we started this show back in July. 
Let's talk about our first Jean-Claude Van Damme movie, probably not our last, Hard Target from 1993, directed by John Woo. In the city of New Orleans, in a darker side of Dixie, away from the music and the lights, there's a new game in town. You'll be provided with a guide, trackers, and the weapons of your choice. I need to file a missing person report. The competitors are deadly. We pride ourselves in hunting only combat veterans, men who have the necessary skills to make our hunts more interesting. They always win. You want to find your father? Get somebody who knows the city to show you around. Now, the opposition is about to get one last chance. What kind of a name is Chance? My mama took when? My friend, Mr. Boudreaux, Silver Star, Marine Forced Recon. He's obviously not someone we should underestimate. Is an annoying little insect. I want him stepped on hard. We need to get out of here now. Ladies first. What? These men will chase after you. Be mad at you for business or pleasure. Both. Look at it this way. You're gonna get to meet Elvis. Give it a rest, pal. Jean Claude Van Damme is the hard target. Miss me. From internationally acclaimed action director, John Woo. How's it feel to be hunted? You tell me! Hard target. So, so this is Ryland's pick, and I wanted to know why Ryland <laughs> picked this movie in particular. You know, I feel like it's a balance in Jean-Claude Van Damme's repertoire, where... Everyone loves Bloodsport. I love Kickboxer. I love Lionheart. I love all these movies. But Hard Target had its first real good direction, superb direction out of John Woo. John Woo took this garbage fucking script and made it into a <laughs> fucking amazing 1993, folks. This is early 90s. I mean, if you look back at this movie, it holds up with action, and that's really hard to do nowadays. I, I love everything about it because it's it's got it all. It's 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 got a uh, you know a, a real good baddie in Lance Hendrickson, Arnold Vosloh, known for the Mummy. Yes. Yeah, yes. the Mummy. It's just a superb movie, up and down. When you talk about action. Oh God, Mr. Fusho, what are you doing here? Don't talk, Randall. Listen. Oh, don't worry about it, Randall. He's all ears. When Mr. Van Cleef came upon your visitors yesterday, you neglected to tell him that they were inquiring about one of our volunteers. Well, that, well, that was nothing, Mr. Fusha. Oh, it was something, Randall. His hair's on point. This is not head, not head Jean-Claude Van Damme. If you're a real Jean-Claude Van Damme fan, you know that not head is a thing. There's pre-not head and there's post-not head. And Hard Target is his first knothead film. Do you all know of the knothead? On his forehead, he is this giant fucking yeah. knot. He never got fixed. Well, what I've heard is it was from Cyborg, the movie Cyborg. The final scene that he was fighting with that giant man kicked him in his head for real and just left this permanent <laughs> knot there that he mm. never got fixed. I just Googled the knothead Van Damme. 
and it's there. Like like the second you see it, like you just can't unsee it. Yeah, you can't unsee it after all his movies have it. But matching up John Claude Van Damme with Lance Hendrickson as one of my favorite baddies, Bishop from Aliens, uh, Stone Cold with the boss. He played an amazing uh, biker badass boss that was just out of control. Listen, get some P2P here. This is impossible to get. In about a week, there's going to be a truck coming through here with three dozen 50-gallon drums on it. That's enough crank to wind up half the Gulf Coast. Hey, I would sniff that shit if I was you. <laughs> 50,000 a drum. Another gift. Let's get out of here. Uh, no Escape with Ray Liotta. He played the father figure that was weird. He's always been one of my favorite baddies. Yancey Butler's playing the hot chick. And if you're an eyebrows fan like I am, good God, this girl <laughs> had some fucking eyebrows on her in 1993. That was on my notes. I had a Kathy Ireland thing growing up. She definitely had that going for her. And I, and I, she wasn't in very many things after that. I remember she was in one Wesley Snipes movie. I can't remember which one it was. Passenger 57. Or one of the other ones that are like that. She was in that movie. And after that, I think the only other time I saw her was in Witchblade, the TV series. And then after that, she disappeared. Well, it's funny that y'all say that. Because um, like when I see this woman, this Yancey Butler, she looks like she's in everything. Does that, <laughs> does that make sense? Like in every bad B movie. Like she's like the, the quintessential like working actress. Like with the big eyebrows and the, and the hair just looking like as beautiful as possible, but always just being like the female protagonist in these action movies. Poe knows something about my father, obviously. Look, if you don't want to go back up there, I'll just go back myself. Hey, if you want to find a daddy, you're going to have to work smarter, not harder. Yeah. This must have been one of her earlier films because she almost made John Claude look a little good on his acting on some scenes, but. I guess she was a model, obviously, before she became an actress. Still images of her, beautiful. Yeah. But when, but whenever she's acting, like those eyebrows really, really kind of <laughs> jump into action. It, it was John Claude's first, what I would say, high budget film. When you see that first scene with John Woo with with the arrows, with the, the camera follows the arrow along its path, that kind yeah. of stuff. In, in the first minute of watching an action film in 1993, got me very, very excited as a ten year old boy. I'll just tell you that. <laughs> Was this bigger budget than Universal Soldier, though, and Double Impact and all those movies? I, I would say budget-wise, probably not, but you're right. Universal Soldier was, what, a year before this? Two years? It was. Yeah, they were all kind of pretty close together. Well, I actually had the timeline. Uh, Universal Soldier was released right before this one. Like, in my own personal journey of Van Damme, this, like, when I, whenever I saw the previews for Hard Target, like, it was a huge eye roll. I was so done with Van Damme. Like I had, I had seen all of them. I had seen, I had seen Double Impact. I had seen Sudden Death. I had seen Lionheart, and it's all just this dude who's forced into some situation where he has to roundhouse kick his way out of it. Kick the tree. That's it. Take your bag and leave my house. What? What's going on? 
You don't want training. Hey, you want me to break my leg? Brother, remember? so done with this with this story like i and then i saw universal soldier and i was like that's not bad i mean he's still roundhouse kicking his way out of things but at least there's a little bit more complexity there so then when i first saw the first shots of hard target i was like what the fuck he's back to just being alone you know vigilante he only him and his roundhouse kicks can can uh, save the day and, and i was so done and i remember the first time i watched this movie I was so in and out of the movie. I didn't even care about the movie. Not one fuck. And so I think all I remember from the movie is the hair, of course, the Mardi Gras uh, factory, like just the setting of all those Mardi Gras, you know, parade floats and, and storage. And then that chick's eyebrows and, and just, just how she looked very generic in action movies. I've actually been in that warehouse in New Orleans. So <laughs> that's nowhere near wherever Bayou they were taking a place. I, that was kind of bizarre. They were in an oil field and all of a sudden they're in that Mardi Gras storage warehouse. I'm like, wait, what the hell? So let's, uh, let's talk about Chance Boudreaux, uh, the character himself. So this man is like a hobo, right? I mean, can we all say that? It was originally cast with Kurt Russell. And who could you replace this role <laughs> better with than fucking Kurt? Kurt Russell's mullet would have been twice as good as fucking john claude oh yeah it would have fit much better way 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 thicker sorry john claude yeah but kurt russell has the hair as a bald man i'm like dear god in my next life can you just give me kurt russell's hair hey as a guy that had a mullet like that kurt russell i can safely (laughs) say that yeah his his mullet was more authentic than van damme's kind of like i'm broke i can barely afford gumbo but I can slick back my hair, my mullet with hair product, like four pounds of it. What the hell? You look like Dog the Bounty Hunter. <laughs> yeah. And so whenever that first fight happened, uh, where uh, <laughs> Nancy Butler was in her car and he was just fighting a bunch of hobos, I guess, that, that's, like, that's like bum fights, basically. <laughs> for, like, if, if you look at it from that perspective, it's just a bunch of homeless people just fighting each other for some chick's purse, right? That's exactly right. And not, not only that, but it was so weird because somehow he was on to their whole classic kind of goons surrounding the girl in broad daylight on Bourbon Street where there's like probably thousands of people walking up and down <laughs> yeah. there. Harass this lady. I don't know what they're after her $100 that she flashed yeah. in the bar. Give me a break. I was like, wait a second. But he figured it out. Van Damme, like, sort of looked through a uh, reflection. He goes, yep, these de- these dudes are definitely going to jump this lady out here in broad daylight. You having fun? Why don't you do yourself a favor, boy? I think the favor going to be done for you. <laughs> said get lost now take your big stick and your boyfriend and find a bus to catch oh this guy's funny <laughs> y'all are confusing van damme with chance boudreau <laughs> <laughs> you're getting a little bit mixed up here this is his stomping swamps they ain't stomping right. ground 
These are the stomping swamps. He knows where he's at. There's yes. one part where he, it, it looks like he's wearing his pants. I've never seen anybody wear their pants as high as Van Dam does in this movie. Oh, I'm sorry, Boudreaux wears it up to his belly button. He's almost like Clint Eastwood in his later movies where he's wearing it up to his chest. But there's a part where he pushes out his duster like he's going to draw a six-shooter. And it's his leg. Like, his leg is the armed <laughs> weapon. Like, I remember that, yeah. I wrote, wrote this note. Better mullet, Chance Boudreaux or Cameron Poe from Con Air. Well, I, I need both of them to, to stare at the sun with closed eyes and have, and have the wind. It's all about the mullet in that scene. There's, like, no other objective as a director in that scene <laughs> other than the fucking mullet. So I think Cameron Poe wins. Yeah, that aspect. Yeah, and I, I don't want to hurt you here, Ryland, but that that the whole beginning scene where they introduce Boudreaux in the the little bar, that is probably the most dry, like dialogue I've ever heard in my life. I had to play it three times backwards. I I, I was like, I had to put the subtitles on, just hear what he said to that lady about gumbo. I'm like, what? Is the, what is this conversation? Like yeah, you're insulting yeah. this lady. I, there's so many bizarre scenes like that where I'm like, who wrote this? This is just so bad. Well, I, I will say that it was a good cover to to I guess paint Boudreaux as like a Cajun guy, you know, to to kind of take care of that accent situation. Yeah, because some because some Van Damme movies don't even talk about it. They yeah. don't even talk about you know why is this why is this French guy or why is this Belgian <laughs> guy here. At all, like the old Schwarzenegger, uh, and, like nobody questions why he's speaking Austrian still. So. Right, like nobody, nobody ever talks about. It. But in, in in occasional Van Damme movies, they do talk about it, uh, and, but they don't talk about it in this one. But they do cover it up with the French Cajun, yeah. But 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 even then, Van Damme really still can't pull it off. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like it's so like we made it so close to what you can do, yeah, no. <laughs> you still can't do it. We put you in this location for this. <laughs> Very purpose. <laughs> yes. And you're still not being Cajun. You're still just being French. Um, <laughs> you know I'm a music guy. For the first scene to be thrown into that slow, jazzy, what John Woo as a Asian man was like, this is what <laughs> Cajun people listen to. It was the jazziest jazz intro yeah. I've ever seen. And it mm -hmm. was like, I've got Cajun relatives who live in Baton Rouge, and they're like, hell no, nah, that ain't fucking music. <laughs> But that well, slow jazz music just as an intro made me laugh. Well, let's talk about the music for a second. Uh, the composer, uh, his name was Graham Rebel. He, he worked a lot in the late 90s. There was apparently a, a special guitarist on this composer's uh, production slate, and his name is Voodoo. <laughs> and so every time you see Van Damme <laughs> in any capacity, there's this little guitar thing that happens like yeah, during the, the score. Riff. On my notes, I put, is this... Is this movie responsible for every 90s action movie jazz guitar background music? I I swear it was like yeah. almost perfect. <laughs> and he's not even doing anything in these scenes where the music's playing. Like he's just like looking at himself in a mirror or, you know, trying to count his money or tie his shoes <laughs> or some shit. And, uh, and but yes, it's just that twangy, just that it's the hero's wail of the, the guitar. So uh, let's talk about the the Merchant Marine, you know, <laughs> sub story that goes on that they never really, <laughs> they never really, where he's literally just making a knot. Yes, like, he's making a knot right by a fucking you know 
inlet where he, you know he's making a fucking manly knot just to show that he was a sailor in parentheses. <laughs> I put that same note. It says note backstory ties knots. The most basic Boy Scout knot you've ever fucking seen in your life. <laughs> and the, and then like, but they never they never show a shot of him getting on the the boat. Oh, you like, wanted to see him get on the boat. Well, I mean, I would like to see some kind of actual closure in this fucking movie. Yeah, like, I'd like to see her pay him that two hundred and seventeen dollars yeah. exactly. Like, <laughs> like all we know at the end of the movie is that all the bad guys are dead, and Wilford Brimley's gonna be okay, and that's it. <laughs> and and then and then it's just like credits. Wilford Brimley had the this motherfucker shot arrows, rode a horse, full bore, like hard. Holy shit, this man deserves a fucking Academy Award for what he did with fucking <laughs> the late career. He This was 19, he was like 78 years old and took a goddamn, I hope, I hope this is a paycheck. hope to God this was a paycheck for old Wilford because he was riding horses and shooting arrows through fucking floats to hit guys in necks. It was amazing. I'm trying to think if I, I think this is the last movie I saw him in. Yeah, drank, but do not spill. Huh. Kill the grass. The place is clean. He just left. Monty Ugh. Of all the movies. I know. When he's riding a horse, you can't put a, a, a you know, a stunt double. There is no Wilford Brimley stunt double. (laughs) (laughs) It doesn't fucking exist. Well, at least we know that there's a stunt double for Jean-Claude Van Damme, because you see him more in this movie than any other stunt devil of all time. With the worst wig I've ever seen. And and did anybody else notice the, uh, like, the He-Man, I have the power moment whenever he gets that gun away from that cop in the first (laughs) shootout? Oh, yeah. Like like he gets he gets his hands on a, on, a, on a pistol, and it's like oh shit here we go. When he gets that gun, he's like I don't need my leg anymore. The second act is the money belt scene. Roper, yes. you know the old dad's buddy, Vietnam vet, gets the go. And what do we do here? You get ten thousand dollars on the on the on your belt. What do you do, Charlie? Well, you know what? Me and my buddy Steven Sakura and his brother David had a running joke for the longest time. As bartenders, we're like, you're fat, old, and out of shape. They say, you got 20 minutes to clear New Orleans <laughs> with 10 grand on your belt. What are you going to do? I'm going to walk my fucking ass to this closest strip club. Go, I have $10,000. I'm going to have six strippers sitting on my face. I'm going to have fucking rails of cocaine laid out. I'm going to die happy. I'm not going to die in between two boards suffering or in a fucking cemetery i'm gonna fucking die with ten thousand dollars cocaine and hookers (laughs) if i'm a war veteran 55 years old and you give me ten thousand dollars i'm just gonna go out on a high don't i'm not gonna fucking run like i said i'm just gonna you're gonna find me at at spearmint rhino fucking 15 feet away and you're gonna walk in i'm gonna go hey wait 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 I still have 35 fucking minutes, man. Let me spend my 10 G's peacefully, please. Yeah. And then you can kill me. Yeah. (laughs) 
and I won't give a shit. Can I ask you, if you won all the money, what would you do with it? Bunch of hookers and cocaine. Oh, okay, that's not good. <laughs> we were hoping for a different answer. That's the problem. Okay, so so can we talk about uh, the business model for this? Yes. Uh, for this uh, this company that Lance Hendrickson runs, where he I guess he I guess he fulfills fantasies for rich people. Imagine if you get that guy. Imagine if you get the guy that you know the Roper. Roper, yeah. Roper. Roper. Imagine you pay half a million dollars to hunt this guy, and all this guy's doing is bitching and moaning the whole time, and then and then and, and then eventually the mummy guy is the one that kills him. Like in the middle of the street, by the yeah. way, with like, like there's it's so unsafe the way they kill this guy. I know, like, right in the middle of Bourbon Street. <laughs> they they light this guy up with bullets. There's people behind him, people beside him. They chase the guys around with motorcycles that kick and prod these guys all the way to the finish line, and that that mummy dude is shooting rockets like grenade launchers at these dudes. Sometimes on Bourbon Street and later on in the jungle. This guy's got unlimited grenades that he's firing from a like a grenade launcher. What was the what's in it for the guy, the millionaire that's hunting the dude? And if these guys are all helping you all around the way, you know, I can understand like kind of get them into the a central kill zone or something. But the yes. whole time it's like just to lead up to him shooting him one time. I was like, eh, it's not very much sport in that. I know, you know, the Roper death scene is fucking epic. Like he gets lit <laughs> up. <laughs> And then, and then, who's there in the morning to to make sure he is who he is? That's Boudreaux right yeah, there. Boudreaux. He's, he knows everybody on Bourbon Street. He's like, he's like, yeah, this is the guy. Then later on, when whenever Van Dam is the target, they get like five guys. Uh, like I guess they call him up like emergency style. And it's like, yeah. hey, do you have do you have a the the evening free plus seven hundred fifty thousand dollars <laughs> that you're going to give me? Yeah. For hunting this guy that I'm going to hunt with you. <laughs> if I was spending three quarters of a million dollars to do anything, I would have a little bit more say in what I'm doing. Yes. As opposed to these but, just just puppets that were just henchmen. Yeah, go be a henchman for me for $750,000. Thank you. We're skipping the motorcycle scene. It's so well done stunt-wise. It's epic. Where he does the stand-up where he... No, that's not the epic one. No, you're, you're talking right after Roper dies, he gets on the motorcycle and rides it straight yeah. up. Well, this is where Rylan and me are going to like disagree a bit. <laughs> I thought you were talking about the kick. That is the epic oh, part. That's what I considered to be epic. Yeah. yeah. That's for the trailers. That part where he's standing on the motorcycle firing the pistol. John Wood is best, and it's <laughs> believable for what they put out. I mean, yeah. look at it. You see a little tiny bit of gas leaking out. You're fine. Just get on the motorcycle. Send it down. Send it. Shoot some fucking guns. Roll over the top of an SUV. Look back at the SUV. Shoot the SUV. Make it explode. Done. Why did the, the SUV explode when he shot it with his handgun? But when his, his uh, motorcycle was shot with a machine gun, nothing. You did not know that wheelies stop bullets you know that <laughs> it creates a force field around the bike itself because it's so incredibly cool They 
they get through this this little motorcycle scene, but then Hen- Hendrickson comes out with that fucking hand cannon, which is a stupid gun. Like in <laughs> so that guy's history, this gun is epic. It's large and in charge. What do you think? And it's one shot. Not very uh, smart when you're chasing down some game. All right, there's one part at the very end where you probably all know with the uh, where they're having the big showdown with, between him and Lance Hendrickson, who I think is an awesome bad guy. I think he, he's the one that really pulls this movie together somewhat where it seems kind of believable and it's a formidable foe for, for Jean-Claude Van Damme. But the very end, you know that he's outmatched by Jean-Claude Van Damme, especially when Van Damme glips over a fire with a front flip and in midair, yeah. he shoots the shotgun and shoots Lance Hendrickson right in the chest. Most unbelievable thing I've ever seen. Because anybody who's shot, shot a shotgun, you are not going to make that stick that landing. You are going to land backwards on your face, <laughs> probably shoot yourself in the foot, especially doing a front flip like that. But You skipped the best part. The oh, second act of this movie is the best part, and I call it Swamp Scene. <laughs> <laughs> it's welcome to the swamp. He punches a goddamn snake in the face. The booby trap. Kevin McAllister, <laughs> shit motherfucker. You think you've got booby traps? Uh, Chance Boudreau has the best booby traps. It's called a snake that he ripped the tail off and punched in the face. Sorry, like, yeah, you, you're a Home Alone fan right now during Christmas. Watch Hard Target. Is it dead? Not hardly. What are you doing? I'm leaving a surprise for my friends. Well, I love <laughs> I love that that he just bit the rattle <laughs> off of the snake. Uh, like he didn't he didn't have to do that, but he did it anyways. Yeah. What rattlesnakes are up in trees? That's Mining what... his own goddamn business. <laughs> I I made that note. He punches the fucking snake and bites its fucking tail off. What a cool fucking booby trap on Boudreaux. But what's funny is that is that, that snake didn't lose any steam on the second bite uh, for that henchman guy. Like, it still proved that it was a badass snake. Yeah, that's true. But, but going up against Chance Boudreaux, it had no chance. Get it? That's <laughs> <laughs> stupid. God, that scene is so bad. Don't you trust me? <laughs> Close your eyes. Yeah. <laughs> the worst animatronic snake you've ever, ever, ever seen in film. <laughs> Creeping on JC, and he punches it really hard, too. Well, he like, flicks it first. No, he, like, remember he flicks it to piss it off? He like mm-hmm. flicks it, and then he punches it with his Van Damme punch. The worst-looking snake I've ever seen in Hollywood. And then him and the snake are homies, and then now the snake's doing Boudreaux's bidding. That's so fucking funny. And so I guess the main culprit would be John Woo and his oh. fantastic filmmaking. I just looked it up because that's the first time. I was very curious on who wrote this. I, I was wondering if John Woo did. It's actually the same guy that wrote Dark Man, which explains the Ted Raimi cameo. Right before Rubber gets killed, there's Ted Raimi cameo scene. Huge tie in there. That explains so much now that the, the writer of Dark Man. Right after he does the snake thing, oh. they're like, Welcome to Uncle Duvo. <laughs> Wilford Brimley blew up his entire damn house for no reason. 
introduced himself as a little nephew and didn't kill anyone. What a complete waste. This guy. What a crazy case. That whole sequence, badass. Badass. That's pretty cool. Like yeah. the like the the house blowing up. I mean, come on, you saw Lance Henriksen whenever it was blowing up. I yeah. mean, that was you can't recreate that. I thought that was all. If if they played that out like a Home Alone style and made that entire scene take place at that house, I would have been probably a little bit more impressed by that whole part. <laughs> why he blew up his house for no reason, <laughs> I still don't get it. He could have blown it up when they were kicking down the doors. Dude, it's so funny. It's so funny to throw Wilford Brimley in this fucking movie. Well, I, I, I was I was just thinking about it. Like, I, I wonder if, like, even the studio was like, we can't really buy Van Damme as a Cajun guy. What if he had, like, an uncle that was, like, really Cajun? So that would help reinforce the Cajun-ism. Uh, but, so all, all Van Damme has to do is act just the tiniest bit Cajun for a little bit of time. And then we can bring Wilford in, and he can really... Charles? Yeah. Charles. Ton nom pas changé, Charles. Toi non plus, Douvet. Charles. You come to see your uncle Douvet. Qu'est-ce que c'est ça? Natasha, my uncle Douvet. Enchanté, mademoiselle. We fix him up good. He was there to bail him out with that accent. He did a pretty damn good Cajun accent. I'll give him that. He's so good with this bow and arrow. He was like fucking Hawkeye. <laughs> dude, he does. Hit the dude right in the neck. Right in the so neck. so perfect. But yeah. <laughs> well, we derailed this. <laughs> but, uh, but so uh, after this movie, uh, Van Damme would go on to uh, do his, his string of universal pictures. Uh, that he he signed up for. So Hard Target was his first Universal picture. Then he did Time Cop, which is which was number two. There are no new messages. Then after that, he released Street Fighter. Are you men enough to fight with me? Anyone who opposes me will be destroyed. And then right after that, he did a Sudden Impact, which was the kind of like an under siege uh, ripoff. Or the least likely person to win the day wins the day. What the fuck is going on? Fuck you and fuck your kid. Where is she? I don't know. Is she up in the owner's box? So maybe, maybe she went out to dinner. And so then after that, after that string of universals, he kind of went into like B movie mode uh, with all of his pictures. And then... Another another crazy thing occurred, which is completely un- unexpected, which was the production houses started doing sequels of old Van Damme movies, hmm. but not with Van Damme in them. Cyborg 2. Kickboxer 2. Bloodsport 2. The next Kumite. Jason Scott Lee stars in Time Cop. The Berlin Decision. Hard Target 2. Own it on Blu-ray, DVD, and digital HD. Yeah. Like, it's stupid. And <laughs> and it's it's stupid that these these movies are legitimately being made because they're making a profit of some kind. They're able to keep pumping these things out. Ryland, are you strictly a Jean-Claude Van Damme fan, or do you give time to these kind of B-movie action, you know, Scott Atkins type of uh, movies? 
I appreciate Scott Atkins so much. I'm glad you threw his name out because I was going to mention it. He is the man that keeps these martial arts forward films alive to me. I'm older now and I want more production value. I want more money involved. And it's just not the case with these B films that go straight to, to VOD now. John Claude holds just such a special place in my heart because he was the first, you know, non Bruce Lee kind of action film star, non Arnold uh, Sly. He was always a black sheep, that, but he always did things that appealed to me. And then he got to a certain echelon where we thought he was going to make it. And then he fell off that pier that everyone thought he was going to hit. So it's just such a fun story if you're a, a hollywood person who just likes hollywood which it is what it is and, and people getting paid what they're getting paid and the genre you're in i love john Clive van damme i love everything he does i've supported him since day one and i will forever please give a huge west ed welcome to the legendary martial arts action hero jean-claude van damme <laughs> Well, I totally respect his hustle. He understands where he he excels. And so he, he kind of doubles down on that, which, you know, a lot of the action stars of the 80s, they tried to, you know, with Schwarzenegger, he knew what kind of movies he was making, but he also wanted to make comedies, you know, like Twins and all this other kind of stuff. I mean, so so like Van Damme, yeah, you're right. He kind of owns his own little corner of Hollywood where it's just that cheesy action movie, but you know he can kick ass anyways. There's no one who did the splits better. But you're absolutely right about the Cinderella story of Van Damme. I mean, this kid came from total obscurity, an extra in Breaking, yeah. to kind of get to know the producers of the Canon Pictures headquarters, and then have and become their guy, their their action star for their you know production company. If you don't know about Canon Pictures, there's a great documentary called Electric Boogaloo out there. Yep. I, I highly recommend it. It's a great story of the rise and fall. And it's, it kind of mirrors the story of Van Damme. Nobody thought he was going to make it, but then next thing you know, he's got a four-picture deal with Universal. Like, that's money. That's hand-over-fist money. Every movie that starred him was him, you know? He's just one of those guys. Yeah, he just he, he owns that, but it doesn't even yeah. matter who directs it. I mean, with Hard Target, he, he kind of matters because it's John Woo. And you're right, Ryland. Um, in retrospect, when I went back and watched this movie, the the longevity of the of what was made in the movie... It held up very well, like just the, the shadows and the lighting and all that kind of stuff. It, it was really well done. But I also feel like you could have taken John Woo out of that whole equation in a financial situation, and it still would have made the same amount of money. So there's that. <laughs> but I probably won't watch it again for probably another 10 years. But if I were to give it a 10-star a, a rating, I'd give it a good 5.5 out of 10. That's fair. I think that... 7.5 is an honest rating on the fact that it's a JCVD film that's directed by John Rue. It's, it's the best you can get. That's it. That's it. That's it. That's it. What about you, Boat? Uh, I'm with you. I think I'd give it a hard five. The most Van Damage that you could possibly do in one movie. But it's not a Van Damme-driven flick like some of the other ones. I I, I really like John Woo's like other flicks like uh, Hard Boiled and stuff that came out before this. You're hallucinating! How many times do I have to say it? You didn't kill a cop! You're your own worst enemy! If you can't conquer your own fears, how can you conquer anyone else? But, and the pigeon stuff, 
I was just like, it's very distracting to me now. And I can't, I can't watch a John Woo film like this or Face Off or Mission Impossible 2 without seeing all these signature things. Uh, other than that, I, I think it's it's really still, even though it's a very simple film playing off of the uh, the most dangerous game, for that, it's it's good. I think Lance Henderson really nails it as the bad guy. Him and the, uh, the mummy dude are fantastic yeah. as bad guys. And if, without, if they were cheesy, this movie would be B-rated. To me, I think it would be in the B-rated category, but somehow it pulls pulls everything together. Uh, so I'll give it that. And I totally forgot about that that whole ending. I knew that they had a big face, like a showdown at the very end. That that's a good action flick, and that's why John Woo is still one of those good action directors, no matter what. So Ryland, this is my gift to you: the the John Claude Van Damme talk on Christmas with our buddy Boat. I feel so privileged with y'all. <laughs> I'm I'm a little upset yeah. at the the judgment the. <laughs> the ratings of this film because oh my god like look at the bones man so this is our second to last episode of the year sometime before the end of the year i'll be releasing one more episode and it will just be a duo between me and ryland uh doing kind of our year in review uh, any members of the real shit listening to this if you want to do a movie review of of the best movie or even the worst movie you saw this year from january 1 we would love to hear about it if you could uh, just record off your phone uh, and send send it through an email at the the real shit. It is T H A R E E L S H one T at gmail dot com. We will totally put your your soundbite in the show uh, to just be a part of the community. We, we really want to beef up this show. We we can't wait to see what happens in twenty twenty one. Boat, thank you so much for spending the time with us. Uh, we always have a great time talking with you. Thank you, gentlemen. It's always a pleasure. You know you're my boy. With that, uh, we're going to go ahead and wrap up the show for Andrew Boat and Rylan Johnson. My name is Charlie Thompson, and we have been spitting the real shit. Uh, we'll see you guys next week. Peace out. Jean-Claude Van Damme. Jean-Claude Van Damme.